for all things mattress. Fam.news. All right, Quinn, you want to do the tease? Yeah, I'd love to do a tease. Go we have it. so many exciting things. We got Mike Magnuson. We got Jeff Cassidy on the show. We're going to talk about astronauts. We're going to talk about marketing research. And best of all, we're going to talk about Purple and Caster. And it's coming to you in just a few clicks. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned because of the guests are the hosts of the Galaxy's Second Greatest Mattress Podcast. <laughs> the Dos Marcos Show has liftoff in 60 seconds. Driven entrepreneurs, listen up. It's time to team up with Nationwide Marketing Group, North America's most successful network of independent retailers. You'll gain access to programs and services that level the playing field between you and the national chains. Industry-leading digital marketing, increased buying power, exclusive networking events, and of course, their awesome learning platform. Nationwide Marketing Group is the business partner that helps you get results and stay ahead of the competition. Take the first step today and visit nationwidegroup.org. Do you want more sales in three easy clicks? Yeah. It starts right now at doorcounts.com. With a completely redesigned user interface, gathering data has never been easier. Click number one, your salespeople connect with the customer as they walk through the door. Click two is the outcome. Click three, key performance metrics right there on your phone from anywhere at any time. Now your salespeople can spend their time selling and DoorCounts is gonna gather the data you need to make your business better. Start right now at DoorCounts.com. Welcome to the Dos Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn, where mattress and furniture leaders gather to grow, get the inside scoop, tell stories, and take tequila shots. Uno, dos, tequila! Welcome aboard. Here's your passport to a planet filled with the mattress industry's brightest minds and biggest ideas. Meet your guides. I'm Mark Kinsley, president and CEO of Englander. And I'm Mark Quinn, co-founder of Spink & Co. and VP of Sherwood Betting. Together, they are Dos Marcos. The galaxy's greatest mattress podcast has liftoff in three, two, one. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to get emotional when I'm watching Disney films, but to see a Disney Plus trailer for an upcoming six-part series starring none other than Chris Cassidy, who's been on the podcast. Jeff, he's your brother. And so coming up October 6th, Among the Stars debuts. And Mike, I think I think you pointed out one of the most relevant pieces of information about this upcoming six-part series. Who is the guy standing beside Jeff's mom? Was it Jeff or was it somebody else? We don't know. Apparently, yeah, we'll never know probably because it was a split second. And, you know, who's got time to rewind that? But it was I like, exciting I like to think Kinsley. it was Jeff. By the way, Kinsley, that was perfect apropos mm-hmm. music at, right at the end of the uh, intro there. It was the Yeah, last I thought you were going to reference that. It was like, like the- perfect. I, you yeah. could have created it just for this particular uh, commentary. Well done. As far as most people know, we could have. Um, <laughs> I also yeah, like how, I also like so, how you listed it in order of the presumed importance of like he's been on the podcast. Oh, and also he's Jeff's brother, <laughs> <laughs> and he happens to be well, an I astronaut. Know, yeah, I want to know if uh, in this show anywhere if Chris Cassidy talks about Magnuson. Does he mention Magnuson? Is he like? Does he? Yeah, talk which about episode him? is really mostly about me? He really tried to get that, uh, get the producers to put that in the edit, but they didn't make it, unfortunately. Yeah. So it almost derailed the show, probably. 
This guy won't <laughs> shut up about madness in a mattress. He kept trying to weave it into interviews that he did on TV from the space station. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. we're doing some cool stuff. Science, yep. Uh, but have you guys listened to the Mike It Up podcast? <laughs> the Swedish media yeah, picked up on it. They, they were pretty open to it, <laughs> I felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. Right, but tell us the real story, Jeff. Jeff, tell us how this happened because I there was a production crew following your brother and some of the other astronauts around leading up to their most recent visit to the International Space Station. And then now, next thing you know, this thing's coming up on Disney Plus October 6th. What's the backstory here? Yeah. Well, it seems like it would, that now it's just out of the blue, but it's several years in the making. Um, so yeah, production company, it's actually James Corden's production company, the late, late show with James Corden. He's one of the partners. It's called Fullwell 73. They do amazing projects. They've done, they did the, um, Motown documentary that was on Showtime. They did Usain Bolt's I Am Bolt documentary. They did the Friends reunion. They've done a ton of stuff. They're, they're really, really good. And the actual producer of this show, Ben Turner, is amazing. So they've been following not only Chris, but several of the people behind the scenes, as well as some of the other astronauts for the past couple of years. Um, and that was over the course of a pretty cool mission that was to fix a $2 billion science experiment that, like, the science is potentially really, really important about the origins of the universe and about... Um, certain things we need to learn more about in order to send humans to Mars, but that thing is broken. And so it's a, the mission is, can they fix this? And they had to invent tools to try and do it. And so it winds up being a pretty cool mission that they follow. And the really neat thing about it is you get to meet a bunch of the people behind the scenes. So the astronauts, you kind of follow, you follow them through, but you're experiencing the emotions of, for example, the people who invented the tools that they're using while they're up there um, and people in mission control who are making decisions real time of what to do right now with the clock ticking on a spacewalk <laughs> to try and fix this $2 billion thing. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I think people will enjoy it. But you know, it looked like it was all about Chris. I mean, it, they may be following other astronauts, but I mean, the way they promo it, I mean, it looks like Chris has a really prominent, you know, place in this, in this documentary. Yeah. Well, he's the, he's the spine of the story. So you follow him, yeah, okay. but it's not specifically about him. You know, it's sort of like, that's your, he's your guide mm -hmm. through the experience. That, so by he the is way, from, is a he's classic from, Cassidy deflection, like that I believe Jeff would do and Chris would do, uh, even if it were completely about him. So but, you it, but it cured, is true. So you cured cancer. Well, you know, yeah. Sort of, exactly. you know, <laughs> me and the rest of the team. Yeah. Well, you will get to know Chris a lot better. That's that, that for sure. And um, he's a very reluctant star. I'm, I'm proud of him that he agreed to do it because um, it was a unique opportunity and a unique opportunity for um, for viewers to get access like like they did. They will in this series. So I'm glad that he did it. Um, but it went against like every fiber of his being, I think. So he was very uncomfortable, uh, with the spotlight. So we'll see, we'll see how he you... does once it's, once it's out. Just as a, like a backstory and, and like Mike, you pointed out one of the most important things here. He was on the podcast. You can go back and listen to that episode. 
which I think is titled 182 Days in Space with Chris Cassidy. So you can get it at fam.news. But I one think of the that's things how I Disney found me, out about him, right? Was, probably, yeah. yeah, we've, yeah. Yeah. we don't want to talk about the behind the scenes communication. Really. Okay. Sorry. Let's just leave that. Yeah. yeah. Where well, we are under NDAs with Disney. So yeah. Uh, with Walt himself. Um, so <laughs> one of the things you mentioned though was since Chris is a former Navy SEAL, and of course there's lots of scuba diving involved when you're a Navy SEAL, he is widely considered one of the best spacewalkers on the planet because whenever you spacewalk, um, it's, like scuba diving in a way, you have to breathe through tubes and you have to be surrounded by the whole suit. And then on top of that, he's very technical and engineering minded so he can fix things. And so him, having him as a spacewalker that is a good scuba diver slash spacewalker and also somebody who can fix things, he was the ideal candidate for this mission to go out and play with the $2 billion toy that needed to help us get information to send people to Mars. So it's, he's, he's one in, I mean, you can't even say a million. He's one in, Seven billion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was, yeah, he was a, the five hundredth human to go into space, which is also pretty cool. At that time, he there had only been five hundred humans who had been there. Now it's going to be much more so common. You, I mean, pretty soon it'll be all of us have been to space, you know. So, you know what I thought was interesting when we so Mike and Jeff and I were all in Houston together at the same time doing the National Seat Foundation thing, and so we went to a Rockets game with Chris. And it, the, the, the impact of that on me, cause after the game, we got to go down and be in the locker room with a lot of the players because of Chris. And so there is a celebrity, like an athlete or an actor, but Chris's celebrity being a Navy SEAL and an astronaut trumped all of that. It was mm-hmm. so cool. It was like the, the players were like, Oh, we'd like to meet him. It wasn't like Chris wanting to go down and meet players. They were like, oh, my God, yeah, a, a NASA astronaut and a Navy SEAL. Chris was by far and away, uh, it, at least the way I looked at that, uh, it, it, it kind of at a higher level of celebrity, right, Mike? I mean, you can so. you I can thought, give an unbiased opinion to that. No doubt. I mean, I think, like, they get to meet other athletes or actors and other types of celebrities all the time. Like, in their world, those are kind of dime a dozen interactions. But how many times do they get to meet somebody who's been to space twice, who's chief astronaut? Who's, uh, you know, who's been a Navy SEAL? Like those are much harder interactions to come by for someone in that world. So yeah, I 100% agree. And they treated him accordingly. They did. And they didn't throw us out. So yeah. Cause we were with them. Did they debate it a little bit? I just, and I thought, a little with my, when I thought you took it really well when we let you know that the reason we were able to get that access was because of Chris, not because of you. I thought you took that right in stride. <laughs> so <laughs> let me tell you, they barely let me get in the in the in the basketball arena. So I know it wasn't me, but anyway, we got a lot to talk about, you guys. Um, One of those first things. First of all, let's talk about, about colonial. Is... It, it, you know, the, the nice thing is, if if we don't want to be seen, that little thing that Kinsley's got that right there is a camera. A web camera. By the way, when you have Mark Zuckerberg Goodbye. doing an interview with uh, Congress, I believe it was, it was like a Skype call. Everyone pointed out that he had a little like post-it note over the camera lens on his computer, right? So even someone who is tech savvy uh, knows to get one of these where you can just slide it over hmm. and keep people from seeing you. And that's what Colonial's got. Show them that again, Kinsley. It fits right over your camera. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. You did not have to go to space to invent this, but it's a no. very handy little device. And also, I couldn't figure out what this was, but it's screen cleaner. 
So you get all the smudges off your camera or wherever. It's a nice little handy dandy screen cleaner on the other side. So this is the, uh, what is this called? The Qi wireless, Qi wireless charger. It's also a mouse pad. And these are just a couple of the fancy handy dandy dudes they've got up at colonialpromotions.com. And you can see all these when you go to colonialpromotions.com forward slash fam. How do people get the mic it up versions of these, these items? They should be coming out in 2029. Seven. <laughs> seven. We moved it up. We moved it up, Kinsley. I'm sorry. It's my oh, fault. We did I did not send you the email. Nice. Yeah. nice. No, my fault. To celebrate our, our, our uh, uh, 20th listener at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but 20, hey, our friends at Colonial, at ColonialPromotions.com, awesome people, Tim and Wes and the whole crew, uh, they're amazing. Like they can kit products. They can make... Uh, your employee appreciation, all your branding efforts. They've been in the mattress business for decades, uh, but they started out doing all this promotional product stuff. And you don't have to wade through all the junk and figure out like what makes the best Qi wireless uh, mouse pad. You don't have to think about it. They, they figure it out for you. So check them out, colonialpromotions.com. If you go to forward slash fam, you can check it all out there. One of the things we want to check out with you guys being here today, besides that sweet set of headphones and that cool good bed hat, uh, was Mike, you've got, you and Jeff have access to some really interesting people in the mattress arena. And you had a chance to interview, uh, Joe, Joe Megabo, the CEO of Purple, and then, uh, Philip Krim, the CEO of Casper. And so if you go to, if you go to, to your podcast, you can go to micitup.com and it'll get you in touch with all those episodes. We, we thought it'd be cool to take a, a little bit of time and talk about these two companies. Now, as of late, of course, you know, both public companies at this point, Casper has announced a, a number of layoffs in the C-suite. And so I thought we could, you know, take a, take a little bit of time and like compare and contrast these companies and talk about what they mean for our industry because they are very much at the forefront as they have, you know, pioneered a lot of the D2C space and now Many of them are in brick and mortar retail and, and making moves to get into brick, into brick and mortar retail. What was your, like, what were some of your captures and your com- comparing and contrasting these two companies as you walked away from those interviews you did? Uh, well, yeah, shout out. It was great. We, we really, uh, enjoyed talking to both those guys and shout out to Larry Miller of Sit and Sleep and Rachel Stewart of, uh, Gardner White, who we also interviewed last season, uh, who were also fantastic, uh, guests on, on the show. So, um, I think there's a lot of great, great content for people to check out if you haven't already heard it. Um, but in terms of comparing, uh, Philip and, and Joe or the, or the two companies, I mean, actually, I'll start with one of the things I found most strikingly similar was that when we asked them to look ahead, both of them really talked a lot about sleep technology. I mean, it was almost identical. You could line up the two conversations. You know, they even both had a very similar, I mean, maybe this is, is almost trite, but, uh, they had a very similar expression about like getting people to fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, wake up. And then they varied a little bit. I think on one said more gently, one said better or something, but, but bottom line was they they were really focused on that. They were looking around at small companies developing technology or smaller, I should say, not necessarily small. But smaller companies developing technology in those areas, whether it's related to, uh, apps for your iPhone or, or, uh, devices for tracking health metrics and sleep metrics or the like. 
they were all they were both very focused on that ecosystem as part of their future, which I thought was strikingly similar and interesting. Um, and they mentioned that ahead of things specifically related to mattresses. Okay, let's okay let's pause button and go back to a previous episode. Um, or a conversation at least. I don't know if we captured this on camera, but I remember talking to you about one of the top 10 posts on goodbed.com dealt with people wanting to buy a mattress that was similar to what they previously purchased. Mm-hmm. So making it the way it used to be made. And meanwhile, the companies that are probably widely seen as very relevant in the consumer space are highly focused on sleep tracking and data and using technology to improve sleep. How do you think that this ends up playing out? And it's probably never going to be a static state, and I understand that. But how do you think that those kind of competing visions end up playing out whenever people are probably trying to get rid of devices and technology so they can wind down and get a good night's sleep? And meanwhile, we're trying to put it into the bedroom. How do you think those competing visions or... um kind of the <laughs> the different tension there gets worked out. Yeah, it's a very interesting and thoughtful question if not leading. Uh but <laughs> but nonetheless a thoughtful <laughs> a thoughtful question. Uh and I definitely I definitely think there is a tension there because uh, you know, I think that I I guess I we're not quite there yet in my view as as it relates to some of the sleep tech and I think it's important for visionaries and leaders to be mindful of that. Sure, that is where we're headed. But there's also a, a near term and maybe even a medium term where that technology is probably going to have some more false starts, I think. You know, sort of like we had with Fitbit 10 years ago, as, as Joe pointed out in the podcast, like we've been through this cycle a few times. Uh, where people get excited about, oh, I can track my sleep with this device. And then basically what happens is it doesn't really deliver anything useful in the way of actionable insights. And then, or it requires, um, or, and maybe that could be because it requires like too much, uh, active input. You know, you have to like log stuff in order to manually in order to, to kind of get the meaningful insights, which people generally don't stick with. So. But nonetheless, for whatever reason, it doesn't deliver enough actual insight and people give up on it and they move on and they put it back in the drawer. And then or they get been... discouraged because the data that's coming at them is only tracking, for example, movement, which you got to have breathing rate and heart rate, not just movement. A healthy sleeper moves about 50 times a night. So I had friends coming to me with their whoops or back in the day, the jawbones and be like, yeah, I don't sleep. See, it totally confirms what I thought. <laughs> right. I'm getting awful sleep. I'm like, but... dude, you're getting more than 3.79 hours a night on average. I promise you that. But both of them said the same thing on this front. They were like, yeah, but take a step back from the minutia of where we are right now and think about the broader context. What they're both thinking about trying to get to is a place where all of their products and their technology is sort of invisible to the user and inactively by itself adjusts things in the environment to help the person sleep better. So they're trying, they're saying, yes, okay, so it's not perfect right now, but forget about that. What we want to try and get to, what we think we can help people get to is an active environment that helps you sleep better and get more rest and higher quality rest without you having to do anything, without you having to think about it. Um, and I think that, I think that's really powerful. I think that's great. We're obviously not there yet, but they <laughs> yeah, both had that same message. 
and, I think and I so think too, that but what are you going to actively? Yeah, I think so too, but what are you going to actively do, right? So just a thought. So on the tracking information side, Kinsley, it's like the speech we gave for Nationwide, right? So there's an acknowledgement. You can wear a Fitbit. You can have your Apple Watch. You can have a passive system in your bed, whatever the, the technology is. And after so many nights of sleep, yeah, I get it, right? I drink wine at night. I don't sleep as well. I understand that, right? Change my exercise pattern or I take a different prescription because now it's keeping, you know, after so many of those things, you go, yep, I get it. It's not going to help me. It's kind of like when you're doing the same thing on a scale, you eat too much food, you have a bad week, you're eating pizzas all week, you're out traveling, you come back, you put a couple pounds on, right? So the scale is going to tell you that you're not doing well with nutrition. The passive monitoring systems are going to tell you about sleep. It's not about that. It's about the transformation of it all, right? So it's how do you not only educate the sleeper, but how do you help them transform their patterns and behavior into better sleep? That's what I mean by actionable insight. Uh, or, right. or, or, or better yet, better even than actionable insight would be, as Jeff pointed out, just like making the change for you automatically. Just But give me an it. example of that. Give me an example. Like your bed comfort, I get that. Maybe there's less pressure somewhere. I get maybe your temperature regulation. It could drop it down for you a little bit. Right. Uh, maybe a snooze environment where the head of your bed comes up a little bit, right? Those types of things. Yeah. So were those good examples that I just gave you? Yeah. Those were, those seemed good. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying we know those <laughs> examples already. Are there more coming? I mean, do you think there's more than that? Right. I, I'm sure there are more coming, but those I think are really okay. great prototypical examples of the types of things we're talking about. But what I was going to just, just to finish my previous thought on this, like, I think the risk here is for a leader in this industry. You want to keep your eye on the horizon as it relates to where we're headed, which I do think is in this direction, no question. But you also have to be mindful of timetables, what's realistic, what can happen when, and also and what people are expecting and needing and wanting in the meantime. And I think there is a risk of pushing your focus maybe too much into that stuff, taking your eye off of just the fundamentals of creating mattresses that are going to deliver like spine alignment, pressure relief, like motion isolation, whatever whatever the other characteristics are that people are looking for uh in the interim. So I, I you know, I'm not saying that I think that uh Philip or Joe are coming on the wrong side of that in any way. I'm only saying that like to Kinsley's question about uh is there a double edged sword here? I do think there is to a degree. I think you have to kind of keep your eye on the horizon while also keeping your eye on the road in front of you which may not be the same exact uh, priority, may not have the same exact priorities. And I think one of the things I look at is follow the money. Eight Sleep just announced an $86 million round uh, with uh, a funding after a $40 million round previously. So clearly there are people out there that, um, in my opinion, at this point, I think they're probably playing the long game of what will the data give us? You know, it's like, uh, clear, not clear cell, but what was the name of the company that had like acne medication? It's on TV. Justin Bieber was on there. Proactive. Proactive. Or something. Proactive. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I found out from a friend who had looked into that company that they made something like, you know, it was like $350 million in sales off their actual product, but they sold data about teenagers for well over a billion dollars. So. Their data was their actual product that they were selling and making money off of. So I think, you know, if you're going to follow the money, what are they thinking right now? Oh, we got to get a gadget inside of a mattress? No, I don't think they, 
care less about that. I think to your point, Jeff, they are hoping that we can make this technology disappear into the background to the point where, yeah, if I'm a consumer and I'm interested in health, I can access that data and improve my sleep. And that's what they're going to sell it on the front end as. But on the backside, think of all of the data that we're going to be able to um, mine and cultivate, and then people are going to be able to sell if they have people, you know, choosing and self-selecting in to give that data to you each and every night for a third of their life, you know. And as we head into this path of health mattering more than ever in in the age of COVID, um, you know, there are ways, you know, to to early detect um, sickness of. And I think we're. I think most people now are going to say, "Yeah, I want to know sooner rather than later if I am sick." But it's going to go well beyond COVID. It's going to go into other arenas aware as well. And once you start talking healthcare, um, then then it's a whole different conversation. And I think that data set that you could get from a sleeper is going to be very valuable. I think that's where it's headed. And that but is I a think huge do have fascinating. To that's a hugely fascinating aspect of what Aid is promising with their technology and with their recent funding round that is and that goes so beyond even sleep it goes i think the company doing this best right now that's way ahead of everyone else maybe not way ahead of everyone else but they seem to be is sleep number i mean sleep number has such good concise messaging in their advertising they're saying uh we don't just promise good sleep we can prove it ding dang doon choose your number blah 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 you know so they've already uh you know, put this technology into, you know, a very large number of consumer homes and, and they're, they're messaging it the proper way, which is I'm going to help you get better sleep. We're going to prove you have better sleep, but I would be very interested to know what they're doing with the data on the backside of that. I think that's where the money is. Well, if you opt in, I mean, imagine the, the potential, um, Kinsley, when we were at Leggett, um, we worked with, uh, BAM Labs early on with an apesial sensor out of Israel that monitored troop movement. We launched the Starry Night product that's ended up being what Select Comfort bought was the technology that was integrated into that. And one of the conversations that I had with the BAM guys, Stephen Rich Rifredi was Steve Young and Rich Rifredi was exactly what we're talking about now. What do you do with the data? So for instance, imagine. Uh, the consumer set of white male, 53 years old, plays pickleball, has two kids, lives in the Midwest, a profile that might be similar to mine. Similar. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Very similar. Technology. Yeah. Devilishly yeah, handsome. I mean, it's roughly. I mean, <laughs> devilishly handsome. Quick wit. Really tech savvy. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, how are the tech savvy? Highly tech savvy. Um, but what are guys like that sleeping like, right? What happens if you go see a scary movie? Uh, scream seven <laughs> and you come back from it and you know, did your sleep get disrupted because you're so freaked out? What happens when you change your prescription medication? What happens if you're in China and um, you have so many people living in a single dorm, you don't know if people died or not. So you can actually use the data and information to find out well-being of, you know, I mean, there's so many things if you really play it out that data can do to help you when you are literally in a constant state from five to eight hours a day. There's nothing that can do that for you like a bed. True. So good bed guys. You had Philip um, on the show and Joe on the show. Uh, loved hearing that Joe's brother is a beatboxer. I actually looked him up. He's amazing. Vocal rock um, artist, I believe is the correct terminology there. Yeah. I need to get up to speed. Things yeah. change very yeah. quickly <laughs> linguistically. So thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Um, 
tell, tell us about Philip a little bit. Um, th- these are both guys that haven't been active, for example, in the, in the trade, uh, on the trade scene. You know, we don't see him at all the shows or we don't see him at, uh, you know, the conferences and things like that. Um, here and there, but, but not super active. Um, is that just, what's your take on that? I mean, now that they're trying to get into brick and mortar retail in a much more direct and heavy way, is, is there an effort to want to be a part of the industry? Are they trying to do the old song and dance where we're outsiders and we don't want to be a part of the industry? Where, where are these companies at headed in regards to the industry now? I think, I think as you would have expected, if you try to map this out five years ago, they're coming into the fold. Like they came in as disruptors, right? So they weren't really, they were kind of persona non grata at those events in the early days. Remember when Tuck the Needle with uh, JT and Dehe came on stage at the Furniture Today conference and I give them a huge amount of kudos for that. I gave them uh, to their, to, to in person, a huge amount of kudos, but I think that took a lot of guts and they, they handled it really well. And I think everyone in the room felt like a lot of admiration for them that they were willing to walk in there and kind of just take questions and be up front with people and straightforward and candid. And, but the point was we all remember how, uh, big a deal that felt like at the time because the fact that they were, you know, at the same time, they were disrupting the very people in that room. So that was probably true for all these guys. I mean, that was long before Joe was at purple. He was, he came in from outside the industry in 2018. But, um, but I think that's probably where, how, how Philip would have felt at that same time. And now, as you would have expected then, as we predicted then, you know, eventually they're going to have to, they're going to reach a point where they saturate the portion of the market who's willing to buy without trying. And they're going to need to, in order to continue their growth, they're going to need to partner up with the traditional channels in order to get, you know, that in-person experience for people. And so we knew that was coming eventually. It did. Purple got there sooner than, than Casper, just a little bit. Um, but you saw when that started to happen for Purple, Joe showed up at the betting conference and he spoke. And he was great. He was super candid and, and provided a lot of great detail on their plans and their numbers and everything. Um, you see now both of them have showrooms in Vegas. Uh, both, both Purple and Casper have showrooms in Vegas now. And of course they, I think this is the same reason why both of them were open to coming on the podcast is like they are, I think, I think they are reaching out to the industry, wanting to be part of it. Um, and wanting to be known and understood. And, and, and seen as the types of companies that people could partner with. And so I think that's the direction that they're headed for sure. At the same time, I also think to play off of what we were just talking about, I think they're both seeing themselves as moving even beyond mattresses. I mean, they're, 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 they see their brands transcending mattresses specifically into all things bedroom, all things sleep, you know, a bigger, a bigger arena. Um, so, but, but that doesn't, uh, in any way preclude them from becoming closer to the other participants of the mattress industry. I want to get your take on something a little bit different. Let's take a detour, but it, it's, it's going to swerve back into us here. So recently, um, in kind of a roll up deal, Brooklyn betting and Helix all become part of the same company. And of course, Helix is a brand that offers more of a, personalized product based on a quiz that you take, the user takes online. And 
and and we've seen consolidation in traditional parts of the industry. Uh, we saw Tuck the Needle become part of SSB. We're now seeing Brooklyn Betting and Helix get rolled up as one. What's your take on how the industry continues to consolidate or doesn't and, and what that means for brands, what that means for how traditional brands and online brands interact, um, how, how these D2C brands end up um, getting the pressure applied from, from those, those new structures that is going to require growth from them. How do you think that looks? Jeff, you want to take this or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a logical progression. I mean, we had, you had Casper come on the scene and then do very, very well and spawn lots of new entrants. And we had for several years an explosion and Mike showed at every betting conference, like the growth in the number of online uh, direct consumer brands. So I think it's just the natural continuation of the process where eventually you hit saturation. Some of them start going out of business, which we already saw see happen. And now they're just starting to consolidate more and it's starting to normalize. So I think that's just the natural progression of, of the industry. Um, so I think you'll see, you'll see more of it. Um, I think also with the Helix in Brooklyn, Brooklyn has its own stores too. So the, that consolidation doesn't represent anything bad for brick and mortar. It's actually demonstrating that brick and mortar is an important part of any long-term sustainable company in the industry. So I think that's, that's, that's part of that. Why those two fitting together that the, uh, Brooklyn's in-store brick and mortar presence is a, is a part of that. But I, I think that consolidation a... is, is just normalizing of the industry. I mean, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, so we started to see some of these brands that bubbled up. And at one point you guys reported there were like 175 plus online brands. And then that contracted. Um, is this going to be a situation where it's like get big or die? Or is there, you know, is there a place? I mean, you guys, let's just talk online. Cause you guys see online up close and personal all the time. Is it get big or die? No. Or is it going to be like, yeah, there are people who can have some scraps and it'll be okay. I've always believed that, that, there's room for at least 50 players here in this landscape. I mean, we, we got up as we, as you just mentioned, well beyond that. And we still are well above that. But I think long term, there's room for at least 50 players because there are long tail niches here that you can build brands around that, that the internet allows you to reach more effectively and that are substantial enough to sustain a business. The, the, the general operating overhead of a mattress company is not so high. That you can't, that you know, that you need, you know, to sell 10 million units a year to, to get by. So I think there's plenty of room for niche players to target specific categories and verticals. Uh, what are you know, some of those? How about avocado as an example of that, right? I mean, you've got a natural product and, mm -hmm. you know, they went out and used digital as a way to corral the interest of those consumers and they've done a fantastic job. So, I think that yeah. is a touch point would absolutely support that. Kinsley, go ahead. You were going to say? Well, you, you talked about some of those niche players and Quinn, you pointed out avocado early on was one and now they've turned into this rocket ship of a brand, um, that seems to be doing very well. Um, well, what are some of the Brent, more, they got Brett Thornton. They got PT, man. They got PT. <laughs> That's, uh, That's right. I mean, 
would you consider him a mattress podcaster or, or maybe he's a mattress podcaster, but do, would you consider his podcast a mattress podcast? It's debatable. Hmm. He's got authors on there. He's got a lot of uh, different, he did a great series on female leaders. Um, so I don't know. What, so I was going to put him as the galaxy's third or second Greatest mattress podcast, and I'm not so sure he's a mattress podcast. I, you know what I think Brett does? I think he, Kinsey called it out. I think he just goes and finds beautiful women, and he has them on their show. If you look at all of Brett's, like, you know, podcast images, you've got, like, lady after lady, and they're just, just beautiful women. And I'm, is it a coincidence? I just don't know. <laughs> he's a brilliant guy. Mm. He's very smart. He brilliant because else. he's not making it a podcast, mattress podcast. So. Yeah, that, that was his first savvy move. I'm not sure he wants that's to compete his first in this smart arena. Move. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The no. elbows are sharp, and the noses well, get you? bloody. Yeah. So I, I have a question for you guys about the the purple and the Casper um, commentary. So, what do you think the biggest difference is, Mike and Jeff, between the two and their strategies? Right. Not not saying that one is better than the other, but like, what do you think differentiates those guys? I mean, obviously, product does, but in terms of strategy, like, what what can you point to there? Well, the first, I'll go first, Mike, okay. and then jump in. My high level impression is like Casper is more focused with a faith in the brand and value of brand that if I build, yeah, I have, have a great brand already in Casper. And if I continue to build that, that customers will keep buying from me into the future because of brand loyalty, because my brand will, will bring them back repeatedly over the course of their lifetime and, their family's lifetime. And Purple also believes in brand, but comes at it more from the technology perspective of my technology is my differentiator. And how can I take my technology and apply it in different ways? And brand is almost, I don't want to say it's secondary because they totally understand the value of brand, but it's like the technology and the application and the innovation, which is in their name, by the way, innovation, that that's kind of the driver more so than brand. And Casper's more focus is like, hey, let's just keep building the brand because that's the fundamental thing that is our competitive advantage. That's the fundamental thing that's going to keep um, customers buying from us with loyalty into the future. So I think that's the, for me, that was the high level uh, difference between the two. Yeah. Okay, so let's take, okay, Mike, you go. And then I have a question about it, technology innovation versus brand and those competing kind of visions, let's call them. But you go, what are your observations? Well, and yeah, I agree with what Jeff said. I, I would preface it by saying I think there's more similar about them than there is different. So, uh, but, but if you're drawing a distinction, I, I like the, what Jeff laid out of kind of one being more product first, brand second, the other being more brand first, product second. Um, but, you know, they still ultimately that leads them to innovation and stuff like that. But but maybe it leads them down different paths as it relates to decisions like should you make your own beds? If you're a product first company, you know, you you're going to have to own your own manufacturing. If you're brand first, maybe you don't. Right. So that's a that's another key distinction between the two companies. Um, so and it might also lead you down slightly different paths as it relates to your marketing too, like how you market. Right. Are you is it whimsical? trying to connect people to the brand in a subway ad. Um, that's just about kind of like the idea of Casper more than it is about like specific product attributes of a Casper mattress. Uh, or is it going to be something more like the Goldilocks egg thing where it gets into something very specific about an attribute of the product that is unique? 
And so those two, those, that, those, that dichotomy between are you product first or brand first maybe leads you down different paths as it relates to some of the downstream decisions you make. A lot of people in the industry have made the argument that brands don't matter anymore. So what's your take on that? Because that feeds right into this conversation about Casper versus Purple. I honestly can't even imagine how they came to that conclusion. I think brands well, are hugely important. I think they're coming to that conclusion based on um, what's happening at brick-and-mortar retail. So a lot of people say the retailer is the brand now. And the retailer wants to be the brand because they want to be the one that you trust whenever you see, whenever you come into the market for a mattress or furniture or whatever it might be. They want the retail brand to be the place that you trust. And they wanted to um, lower the priority, the consumer priority on a product brand because they wanted to be seen as these curators. And so that, that has bubbled up multiple times on multiple different fronts where people say that brands don't really matter anymore. I mean, um, and then meanwhile, in the same breath, Mike, they'll say, well, you have to be online. Otherwise, you're invisible to the consumer. Well, what are you putting online? You're putting a brand online. I, I, I mean, I've been hearing that, that, is it an epitaph, maybe? Like, or, or no, no, that's not the right word, right word. But like the, I've been hearing like this, this phrase of the retailer is the brand since, uh, I joined the industry in 2010 or whatever. And, I think as it was then, it is now in most cases more like an ambition than it is a reality. And it's a good ambition. The retailer should absolutely aspire to be the brand and to, to be the, the trusted um, party in all of this for the consumer. Like the one who's going to, like you said, curate it. I mean, I, I talk about the three C's, like I, uh, curation, helping you make a better choice if you come to our store. Um, customer service, we're going to have your back if you purchase through us or convenience. We're going to make this experience better for you than if you didn't buy through us. Like focusing on one of those three, uh, can, can make you a trust, the trusted party, the brand in the eye of the consumer. But again, I think as it relates to the reality of where we are today, I think that's less, that's, that's very much the exception. There are some retailers for which that's true, but they're very much the exception, not the norm, where their brand trumps the brands of the products that they carry. And in fact, what you're seeing now is a shift in the products mix on those floors that supports the fact that brand matters. You're seeing DSC guys have easy inroads into their sales floors. I mean, Casper and Purple and Nectar, these guys are making massive inroads very quickly on strictly on the fact They've built brands and they've done it in a marketing efficient way online. And that's created uh, a pull from consumers that, that draws people into those stores. So people are making room on their sales floors for brands. I wonder if there's a little bit of a, like a distinction to make though. And maybe it's not worthy of, you know, spending a lot of time on um, or putting too much weight in. But, you know, if somebody's going to go and start to research a mattress, I think it's, Pretty, pretty agreed upon they're going to go online and they're going to research mattresses. And so whoever comes up first and whoever has some sort of dealer locator, um, I don't know that that's so much brand as it is the ability to get in front of in-market shoppers. I don't know if there's like, because when I think of brand, I'm thinking of like a preference or in Purple's case, in Tempur-Pedic's case, I think those are two unique 
companies to talk about because they have technology that's demonstrable that has created demand. People are like, I have to experience this. I'm not going to be denied the opportunity to try this since I'm in the market for a mattress. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a lot of it is just the ability to get in front of the consumer. um, And that's deep pockets versus brand in some cases. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think it's it's not just about like so is the retailer the brand? The retailer is a brand, right? Sure. And then and I think if you look at strong examples of this sit and sleep, Jordan's furniture, Miskelly furniture, uh Mancini's, like these guys that have done a really great job of connecting in a, in a real way. Trent Ramberger, even in his market, it doesn't mean you have to be a massive regional player. I think the store brand, the people who bring it to life, the people who lean into it, they know how to connect with the consumer. That's a part of it. But, um, if you just put all unknown product in there, would that store or those stores do as well if you didn't have Tempur-Pedic or purple or something. So I think it's definitely the synergy of the two things. I don't think it's it, anything is mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you're in the market, like, I mean, even Kinsley, you were talking about eight sleep early. I think that's a great example, but like, I don't know anything about sleep. So just because they jump in front of me when I'm in the shopping phase for a bed, I don't know them. So, um, and, and I think awareness is one thing, but I think preferences is, is entirely different. I think, Tempur-Pedic has that. I think probably Purple has that. Uh, I, I'm not sure outside of them who has a strong preference because I think there's Nectar maybe. And so anyway, I think it's a, a crash of the two things, don't you? Jeff, what are your thoughts? I totally agree with you, but I kind of disagree in that when a brand appear, you go online, you start researching and a brand appears, you don't know them. Therefore, that doesn't register. I I think it does register. And I think uh, resident nectar in particular is an example of this where you go online, you start searching that triggers them to know that you're actively shopping for a mattress. Now they're going to aggressively appear in front of you. And I think that those uh, appearances online, those presentations that I see online, they actually start to build that brand up in my head. So I get this impression that, wow, nectar is everywhere. So to me, it's building up trust because I'm seeing them everywhere that I look online. So I'm like, wow, these guys must be really popular. Like I'm seeing them everywhere. So I, I do think that that efficient marketing that, that Mike always talks about that Nectar puts into practice, that really has influence. And I think that that is why the great, even the great, the, the best retailers, like the ones you mentioned, they're putting some of these brands on the floor because they are bringing people into the store. They yeah. are I think it's a, marketing for this. Good story. point. I think it's yep. a solid distinction too, which is you just described the path to go from no awareness to preference, which Quinn was talking about, which is <laughs> you got to get in front of in-market shoppers and then you have to consistently uh, drip messages in front of them and they have to see reviews and have all these different touch points. And then you start to put some definition around this previously unknown company and that is what the brand wants to be in your mind. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that definition that they put around it is something positive. And then you'll take that positive impression into the store with you or just make the purchase online, whatever the case may be. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you do go from, yeah, I've got deep pockets and I can spend more money than everybody else to what am I doing in front of that consumer consistently? And do I have a message that connects with them? Are they, are they relating to me? You know, that's that deeper little touchy feely stuff, but it, 
but you got to get there with those impressions that come along the way. And you go from not knowing who they are to, wow, I walk into a store. The salesperson seems to know something about this product. It's real. I can touch it. I can feel it. I like it potentially. And that's the completion of that brand experience. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I, so y- y- y'all, we talked about this earlier and we were talking about consolidation in the industry. And now we're talking about brand. So Serta Simmons betting, right? So they bought Tuft and Needle a while ago. And so it makes sense, right? So you got a really solid DTC player at one point. And so Serta goes and they buy them. Have they fully realized the opportunity there? Because it feels to me like Tuft and Needle has really fallen off a little bit in terms of the direct-to-consumer brands. Can you guys give us a little uh, of an opinion about that and, and the consolidation of those two companies and how effective they have been in realizing the full potential of it? I mean, I think that's fair. I don't know that, uh, how much they've fallen off as much as just other companies maybe have caught up or surpassed them. Um, so I think they're in the rankings, probably there's, they're sliding, even if not in absolute dollars. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I guess one thing I'm surprised about is that, um, SSB hasn't leveraged all of what they bring to bear to grow tough to needles business as much as they really seems like they could have. They, I, I haven't seen tough to needle in physical stores just to be as one example. Like I, I thought I would at this point. I thought I would have two years ago, three years ago, actually. Um, so it seems like they were more focused on what can Tuft and Needle bring to SSB in terms of their digital savvy, as opposed to what can we bring to Tuft and Needle to grow that brand and make that even more pervasive. Um, so, yeah, I think there's more that. Remember that advertising there. early on where t- remember when Tuft and Needle was saying mattress retailers are greedy. I wonder if that oh, for sure there. Yeah. Push into brick and mortar, right? Well, for sure, for the first couple of years, it was toxic, you know, I'm sure. Uh, but they've right. beyond, you know, once, I mean, how long ago was this? 2016? Is that the, the, the date? So it's it been a while. while. Ago, yeah. And, you know, they immediately backed off of that campaign, of course. Um, but yeah, that was one of the reasons that surprised me for, uh, why they even went with Tuft and Needle in the first place. I mean, why, why of all, the online companies that you could choose, did they choose the one that like most went out of their way to disparage the core customer base of SSB? (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, they did. And subsequent to that, I still think there's more they could have, could be doing to build that brand with the core strength and expertise that SSB would, would bring to the table. So, Oh, oh, you know, it it sort of ties into to like what, um, what we're, Jeff was talking about before with the consolidation, I do think the example of Helix and Brooklyn Betting is a little bit of a similar dynamic between what brought, um, what brought SSB and Tuft and Needle together because you have manufacturing capability with SSB and physical store distribution and the ability to make different, different products for different people. Um, all of those are things that SSB specializes in, but they're also things on a smaller scale that Brooklyn Betting specializes in. And then you marry that with uh, the kind of just purely digital focus of a tuft and needle. It's very similar to what Helix brings to that equation. It's kind of a, so I think when you're going to see consolidation, I think that's 
that's one of the types of consolidation you're likely to see. It's not going to be just for consolidation's sake. You're going to have to need uh, synergies like those to, to make them make sense. Who is, in your opinion, really doing a great job right now at their business? In the online Anybody space? Anybody dominating? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, clearly in the industry at large, Tempur-Pedic is is gangbusters, right? They're they're really doing fantastic. Um, and then in the online space, you know, there's a number of players. I think you have to look at Nectar, what they're doing on the marketing efficiency side, um, which is feeding into their ability to grow the physical door side as well. Um, so that's certainly going very well at Purple, I think also. Um, is is doing quite well in in a similar way um so those are the first names that come yeah. to mind yeah you mentioned avocado, avocado before. continues to grow yeah yeah and that um they're ex they're helping grow the natural category in general i think which is uh, another thing that they're they're exploiting taking advantage of in a good way mm -hmm. did we lose kinsley and we're grateful for that Love the natural <laughs> category. So, uh, guys, we we know uh, you, you guys saw some shifting gears here a little bit out of the direct-to-consumer space. We published some research. The FAM did, uh, so within conjunction with Nationwide. And there were a couple statistics in there that uh, Mark and I both were really surprised by. And so I thought maybe we could get a quick reaction uh, from you guys before we – in this episode, one of them being 64% of consumers um, really being okay um, without trying the bed before um, they actually buy the bed. So does that surprise you guys? Being okay, sorry, so 64% of people who bought their mattress without trying it are happy with the purchase they made, happy with the product? Or, or was it 64% of, of shoppers surveyed said they don't need to try it? Hold on a second. I'll, I'm going to, here's the question. So how likely are you to purchase your next mattress without trying it in person? 64% of, percent of and people. It, that, that, sorry, that's, that question was asked without knowing anything about how they bought their last mattress. Is that correct? Correct. This is just 2000 mattress buyers who purchased in the past 12 months in the United States balance sample. So just how likely are you to purchase your next mattress without trying it in person? 64%. So just you know, about two out of three said likely, very likely, or extremely likely. So signaling, I'm, you know, two out of three people almost are saying I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to try my mattress next time before I buy it. Mm -hmm. So our reaction to that? I, I think mean, that my, my reaction makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we see it, uh, we see data coming in on people who are shopping now. Um, and it's slightly lower than that. I think we're at what, Mike, like 53, 54% say, I don't think I need to try it in a store. Yeah. Um, good bed data. No, um, it's not but the, clear but the whether people is, are projecting forward though in answering that because these are people who just bought one the, and they're now projecting what are they going to do in that's five, I, 10 years? Like that's what I was going to say. So it makes sense to me that it would be higher because the people yeah. who are buying now, they have, uh, already predisposed. They're, they're slightly more predisposed to buy online. So though your sample of who have bought in the last 12 months is already skewed a little bit from the average population from where the market so is right now. 
at 64% makes sense to me. Yeah. Here's, here's what I thought was fascinating about this too. So of the people, of those 64% who said, I'm likely not going to try it next time, about 55% purchased from a furniture or sleep shop, from a furniture store or sleep shop. So basically they're saying, that, I mean, the odds, if you purchased in a furniture store or at a sleep shop, the odds are very high that you actually tried the bed mm-hmm. before you bought it. So 55% of people who did buy through that channel uh, have self-reported that I'm not likely going to try it next time, which to me was a little bit shocking because you would think if you tried it this time, if you tried the mattress this time and then went ahead and made a purchase, you would probably say, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a try before buy type of guy or gal. But you that could surprise you that, that, I mean, if I know we're making some assumptions here based on the, the, the previous buying channel, their most previous purchase channel, but it's, it, to me, it seemed I, I, a little bit. Just to be clear though, I don't think crazy. it, I don't think it was 55% of people who bought in the furniture store said they're going to buy it elsewhere, buy it on, buy it without trying. I think it was of Correct. the people. Who said they're going to buy it without trying? Fifty-five percent of those bought in a furniture store. That could be this last time. Yeah, but but who knows what percentage of that is of the number of people who bought in a furniture store overall? Because like the whole thirty-six percent, or who didn't say they need to try, who said they do need to try it next time, they could have all. They presumably also all bought in a furniture store. So. But- what does that number, what does yeah, that there, work out? There's, there's another thing I would say, which is two things. So that doesn't necessarily mean they had a bad experience when they tried it in the store. It, it, it could be that their experience in the store confirmed that, okay, all my research that I did online was right. So I'm confident in my ability to do the research and kind of online pick the right one because I confirmed that I was right this time in the store. So, um, that's, that's one aspect that's potentially bad for brick and mortar. But what I don't think is bad is when they say I'm going to buy online, that doesn't mean it's easy to conflate that with I'm going to buy an online direct brand only. It means right. I, I feel more comfortable um, with what I can learn online. And now what we're seeing with, and you guys see it with talking with uh, brick and mortar retailers, the uh, the percentage of their business that they transact through their website is growing. So if I had a good experience at Denver Mattress, but I all, but it helped confirm that my research, I was pretty right. Well, I still want to buy from Denver Mattress next time, but I, I'm comfortable that I can buy it on their website. And if Denver Mattress has easy ways for me to interact with humans, I can interact with humans at Denver Mattress and not have to go into the store. So and then I can walk number, away and I can purchase it from their website. Yeah. Or whatever so I still want to buy from Denver mattresses. They were awesome. I'm picking them because they're an amazing retailer, but that I had a great experience. I just now, because it's so much uh, more convenient, I can just, I'm just going to buy it online. So I'm going to tell you guys a, a data point that shocked me. I'm going to rewind to, to 2015. So 2015, I came across. Same type of 2000 mattress buyers who had purchased in the past, uh, six months. And what was their purchase channel? And then based on their purchase channel, what retailer did they buy from? So there was, you know, back then, whatever it was, like 
of people had purchased online. The number one retailer where they'd purchased online, this is when the D2C brands were hot and everybody in the industry was thinking about Casper and Tufton Needle and whoever else was coming out of the woodwork. So, so we got these, these people that purchased online. Where did they purchase from? Sears. Hmm. They purchased the number one purchase channel online was Sears.com. Hmm. So it, it surprised us at the time when we looked at that and thought, Oh my gosh, like, People are actually buying through Sears' website. Maybe they went into the store and maybe they tried it out. But Sears was the number one channel for these mattress buyers in the past, you know, six months at that time period. So even today, like to your point, Jeff, I mean, I think it's a really relevant one. You have, um, lots of really talented, innovative retailers who understand the online game, who play it very well and just happen to sell, you know, a million different products on there in, in an endless aisle fashion. Uh, and so you're, you know, you're getting lots of mattress sales through Living Spaces website. You know, you're getting lots of mattress sales probably through the Sit and Sleep website. It's not just the online D2C brands. Does anyone else feel like Kinsley made that thing about Sears up? Or is it just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or that he read the wrong line of a spreadsheet yeah, or something. I, I kind of <laughs> feel like he's making it up. I really do. <laughs> well, I remember at the time, I mean, this was, especially if this was looking into 2014 where, where the online guys, I mean, the difference between 2014 and 15 was significant. So if the, if this is the beginning of 2015, looking back at purchasers who were in the last six months of 2014, you know, that's, that was Macy's and Sears, even U.S. Mattress was a, a pretty significant player at that. I mean, of the small pie that we had at that time, Macy's, but just to give you an idea, at that time, Macy's, when you bought online, you had to, you had to actually consummate the sale through the phone. It would basically have, there was no click to buy, add to cart. It was like click to call to call, you know, to close this purchase. And U.S. Mattress, I, I think I heard a statistic around that time that even, even they who were by far the biggest like web only uh, mattress retailer at the time, still for them, I think half of their sales at that time were consummated over the phone. So it was like, it was a different game. It wasn't until the Caspers of the world came around that like really people got comfortable with clicking to buy without actually talking to a human. And I'm guessing that Sears, a lot of the Sears sales were similar. Like they either talked to a human in the store or they called somebody uh, at Sears's call center. Well, it takes us oh, back to brand, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to be in any way like, uh, I, I think, I think re, again, I, uh, just to go back to my answer on that question that you posed a while back, Kinsley, like, I think that is a fantastic ambition for a retailer. They should actually, they should a hundred percent be trying to be the brand. And, and I agree with what Jeff said that it's not, a, it's not a clear cut black and white situation. It's definitely a combination of the two. I just disagree that in the majority of, for the majority of retailers out there, that they can just kind of be cavalier about like, oh, we don't, we, we are the only thing that people care about in our market. I think that's not usually the case with a, the average. I think if retailer. people did come in off the street, yeah, you can attract them by, you know, having great top of mind advertising, connecting with people through your advertising. And then when people come into your store, if it's a sea of generic and there's like no moment of recognition of like, oh, I've, I've heard this brand. They may seem like a dirty window store or they're carrying dirty window store product. Yeah. 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 Well, you or know, another way to, another way to say it is like, it's even the ones who, um, 
Mike, you might categorize them as cavalier about it. There, there are some customers of theirs who, for sure, they are the brand. Yeah. But there's this big bucket of customers who are going to be influenced by the online marketing when they enter the market to shop for a mattress. So those uh, those retailers run the risk of just continuing to lose those customers who are influenced by online marketing. That's so they will continue to be the the brand for some subset, but it'll just keep shrinking over if time. You, that's, and that, that's what I kind of mean by the Cavalier. Like if you view it through that like that lens of like the people who do come into your store, you're missing all these other people potentially yeah. who for whom you know it doesn't. You don't have to be the brand for them to win their business. Like, so, but just don't miss out on the possibility of like that there's these other people out there for whom, you know, the product brands are also going to be important. And yeah. That's like a, a classic example too of if you listen to your customers, that's the message that you get because you're talking to the people who came into your store. Who so self-selected. You really want to listen to, yeah, you want to listen to the shoppers and. Not just not just the customers. I think a lot Stephen of the retailers Stone said out one there. Time, Stephen Stone told us one time on the show, my brand is to get people in the door. Your brand is to finalize the sale. You know, because if I, I can get them in the store all day long, he said, but if, if your product doesn't work or if your brand doesn't connect with people or they don't know who you are, then I'm gonna have a hard time closing that sale. I think that's a it's it's both. It's yes and. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of retailers out there trying to get it done in the digital space, and there's a lot of digital guys trying to move forward into the brick and mortar space. And one thing is for sure, if they read the book, come back to bed, or they tune into goodbed.com's podcast, Mike It Up, uh, or Dos Marcos, or they visit the fam, uh, they're going to get a lot of great information to help them either way they're going. And Mike and Jeff, you guys are awesome. We're so glad you're part of the fam, the content you're putting out, the work you're doing with retailers all over the country, um, the shows you're producing and the insights that you're giving to people inside of this industry are compelling as hell. Um, I love listening to your shows. Kinsley and I learn a lot from them. And I'm really glad that we have you as part of the fam as the second best mattress podcast <laughs> in the galaxy. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Kinsley, do you have anything to add to that? As, uh, but you guys, I, I think you probably created your own category where you're the world's best. We just haven't heard what that is, but you, you <laughs> totally are. <laughs> exactly. But there's gotta be <laughs> the galaxy's greatest. We're the best at being the second best me- galaxy. You guys are yeah. Avis, right? Yeah. You're we're second, we try harder. We try harder. <laughs> <laughs> No matter what you do, guys, if you're listening to this, all we ask you is you share awesome. the you, you share the shows with friends and uh, counterparts inside of the category. We look at the fam and mic it up and the Dos Marcos podcast as a campfire for everyone to get around. So please share that with friends inside of the industry. Uh, go check it out. Go give uh, Mike and Jeff at Mike It Up a five star review. And check them out if you're not already listening to them and do the same for Dos Marcos. Before we go, uh, any last words, Mike, Jeff, and Mark? Let's go in order. Mike, you go first. Hey, no, I have no last words. I just want to thank you guys for having us on. We we always love hanging out with you guys. If it could be recorded, all the better. <laughs>
most of them should not be recorded. Let's. That's be true. That is true. All right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, a lot of what we recorded today will never will never see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just want to echo the you. thank. I just yeah. want to echo the thanks for having us on, but also for the. Um, the energy and the enthusiasm and the fun that you guys bring to the industry and, and the passion to try and help uh, the industry and, and retailers. Just, I know I speak for many, many, many of us that we appreciate it. So thanks for what you guys do. It's very nice, Jeff. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you guys too. You, we, we behind the scenes here, lots of people just really connecting with your unique position in the industry with goodbed.com and your unique perspectives as a result of that. Um, but just because you have that unique kind of position in the industry, this nexus doesn't mean that you would have to do anything with that position and share your analysis and your thoughts and try to uh, give people value. And I've heard so many people mention that. So great job to you guys. And my final word is tune in October 6th, yes. the six part series with Chris Cassidy. Among he the is stars. Blasting off. Among, Among the, the stars. stars, no doubt. Let's yeah. go, we could just call this podcast today "Among the Mattress Stars." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Chris Cassidy, American hero, baby. <laughs> See you guys. All See right, you guys. thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. You can bounce on it. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool. And I'm hot like a heater Bounce by the ounce Now we got it by the leader Well you take a spring And you wrap it up right You can sleep so smooth Or bounce all night Put two together Get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it Lay back You don't have to practice It's the best thing to happen To your mattress Get together to do it like I did Everybody get hybrid if you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Nothing short of cheap. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of a comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, phone keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce You'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react Then you can't get low We got the type of bounce That won't spill your Merlot So stick with us And you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle And I'm so supportive Hybrid is where the magic is And we just 
killed a song about mattresses.